you know, really started that discovery process of what links, you know, myself personally with the DNA of the IWC brand. And I yeah. feel like I was really drawn to the understated uh, nature of the watches and the, the engineering that goes into them and the aesthetic sides of things. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Partners in Time. Uh, today, I'm joined by a very, very special guest and dear friend, Hayden Cox of Hayden Shapes in Sydney, Australia. He's uh, a bit of a legend in the uh, surfing and surfboard shaping scene. And of course, he's a passionate surfer himself. And I remember the story very clearly when I first met Hayden. It was a case of, I show you mine, you show me yours, <laughs> in, in a sense, because we invited Hayden to our boutique opening in Melbourne. And I think the next day or a couple of days later, we do back in Sydney. And uh, I remember Florian, who is in charge of uh, Florian, or at least was at the time, spoiler alert, he's, he's moving on or about to move on. And uh, he said to me, well, you know, did you meet Hayden last night? And I, I actually, quite honestly, I wasn't quite sure whether I had or not. But he, he said, well, he's, he's the gentleman we need to meet about the surfboards. And he, you know, as you know, I'm an interior architect. So Florian showed me one image of uh, Hayden's showroom in, in, in Sydney. And I was like, okay, clear the schedule, cancel all of the appointments we've got planned for the afternoon. Apologies to anybody who is concerned about that. And let's head out and meet Hayden. And Hayden, you were kind enough to accommodate us in your beautiful showroom. And we had a couple of beers and it was absolute beautiful experience. And obviously, uh, I was just blown away by what you do. So Hayden, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great, apart from a shoulder, and apparently we now have uh, two bung shoulders between the both of us, but um appreciate that very uh, great intro to myself, um, but it was a, a great afternoon to have you up in the, um, the Hayden Shapes flagship store in Mona Bar, which is just down the street from where I shaped my first surfboard. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I remember very clearly as well, it's around the corner from the uh, AMG Sydney Performance Centre. And the fact that it didn't stop there, not even on the way there, on the way back, <laughs> must have meant that it was very exciting to visit you and see your business. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. And first of all, let me say, you know, I hope the shoulder gets better very, very soon. Indeed, I think you, you had a surfing uh, accident. I had a snowboarding accident. I've got my right shoulder done in using your left shoulder. So together we're sort of uh, almost functioning human beings. Um, but yep. you know, tell tell us a little bit about that story because really, I mean, it's quite amazing. You you kind of developed from a, a sort of individual, uh, a one person a surfboard shaping business and just following your passion to to a global brand. So so tell us, our listeners, a little bit about your story. Yeah, so I started my business and my brand and the experience and the the my passion of shaping surfboards when I was fifteen years old. I broke my surfboard in the summer school holidays and. What a better way to get a new surfboard than build it yourself. So I ran around all the local factories and I found one factory that was willing to take me in my Easter school holidays. And I did one week work experience. I was lucky enough to impress the owner of the factory. I swept all his floors, cleaned the toilets just enough to allow him to shape me one, uh, for me to shape one board in his factory. And from there, I, I just fell in love with the whole process of designing, building a board you know, which includes shaping, laminating and sanding the board and then going out and surfing it and critiquing, critiquing your work and that whole design process from start to finish. And the brand Hayden Shapes is pretty much built over the last 24 years, almost 25 years, board by board. And it's, uh, it's still a family-owned business. Uh, my wife and myself run it today. 
And it's, um, I guess, a true passion of mine. I, I really get to apply my personal interests into all the areas of the business. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and maybe also for, for our listeners who may not be that familiar with the whole process of making a surfboard, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning that this is not something that just gets, you know, injection molded or sort of, you know, automatically shaped by a big machine. It's actually quite a manual process. Can you, can you talk a, bit, a little bit about that? Definitely. And I think that's culturally something that is, you know, in, deep rooted within the surf culture is that how we build our boards. And when we build our boards, people like to see within the product. And I think that's a really important thing. You know, you look at watches and you flip a watch over and you see all the movements moving. I think it's a very similar kind of thing when it comes to surfboards. People like to see through the clear fiberglass and, and see the artwork or the details that go into a board. So to break it down, the way we build a board is we start off with a, a, a piece of foam. Generally, traditionally, that's had a piece of wooden uh, plywood down the center of the board creating a stringer. And you would then shape the board. Today, we use CNC machines uh, that will pretty much remove most of the outer shell of that blank and then we'll finish it off by hand but when I first started it was all shaped by hand and you would template the outline you know and then pull out an electric planer and you know carve off most of the the bulk and then use different hand surf forms and shaping and sanding blocks to basically bring up the all the curves and that's the first process which is shaping and then after the shape we got to apply then the outer shell which is made from resin and fiberglass and in the modern mm. world of today we use epoxy resins carbon fiber and fiberglass to laminate the board and then we put the final coats on using you know resin and uh, you know a brushing technique uh, which then puts a filler coat on there and then we go in and sand the board up to whether it be 500 grit or all the way up to a full polish so it's a very hands-on yeah. process it probably passes through about uh, 15 different sets of hands within uh, the building and depending on the artwork and the style of board, it depends on the, the level of detail at each one of those processes. Yeah. So I was going to say, luckily, you, you don't have to shape them all yourself personally anymore today, do you? No. I, I mean, today, the modern world of building surfboards, like any product, is quite refined. It, you know, I, I design the boards and we CNC the boards down to around a 0.2 to 0.4 of a mil tolerance between all sort of measurements on the board. So the, the, the replication process, once you have like that base model, um, can be customized to suit from, from a size point of view, but it's, it's very closely replicated to that original design. Yeah. So all you have to do now is get your tolerances down by about factor 1,000 and then you're in the watch business, basically. So you're Pretty close. much so. <laughs> and uh, we might have to upgrade a few materials to, to go from foam to some, some precious metals. But um, yeah, I mean, that could give us a, a good idea. Uh, maybe make, yeah. make some surfboards out of some, some high-quality precious metals would be an exciting project. Absolutely. But it's amazing to, to see that actually um, it is almost like a process of sculpture, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's literally taking essentially what is a block and sort of machining and you know, chiseling away all of the bits you don't want until you get the, the final shape, which is I'm not sure that many people are actually aware of that who are not actually into surfing. Uh, this is kind of really a subtractive sort of uh, manual uh, a process where things get machined from a, a full block to start with to to then in the end you know give us beautiful curves of the surfboard yeah it's definitely a, a there's there's part of it which is based on the science and that sort of machine made side of things but essentially at the end of the day the rest of the board is handmade and the finishing of that shape blank is by hand and the level of detail and the precision that you can get by hand is is more consistent than what you can get on a CNC machine when mm. you you know machining into something like foam, which has a lot of flex and deflection when you put it on a CNC machine. 
So it does require that skill and that eye by hand to, to really finesse and finish off the board. Yeah. And is there still plywood in the boards today or is that completely gone? No, in a in majority of the boards produced today, they will still have a centerline stringer. So they will have the three-ply stringer running down the centre of the board and that will produce and, and generate probably uh, and control around 40, 45% of the board's uh, flex pattern. So yeah. um, it's still a very common way to build a surfboard, but I like to really push the boundaries and, and innovate and design boards with some of the more modern materials that are available to us. Mm. So that's your, your link to Formula One, basically, because no matter how sophisticated the cars, they still have a plank of plywood at the bottom of the car because it's still in the regulations. But <laughs> it's, it's I did one not of those know that. little nudges to his. Yeah, yeah. You can see, they see that either when um, they lift a car or when, unfortunately, one of the cars flips over, you can always see they have this, this big, big board running down the bottom, the center line of the car. So that's one of those leftovers uh, from a <laughs> distant past that they're still using today. Oh, there you go. I mean, for us in the surfboard industry, even in, at the competition level, there's no regulations around the boards that you can ride. And I think that speaks to a little bit of the culture of, um, and the art of, of surfing. Um, mm. So, I mean, it, it gives a little bit more freedom, but uh, essentially in the competition scene, people are riding very similar kind of pieces of equipment from, from one surfer to the next. Yeah. But what struck me um, when I first met you is the fact that obviously is one thing making a fantastic, high quality, uh, high performance surfboard. It's quite another thing building a brand around it that has an identity as strong as yours. And I invite all of our listeners uh, to check out Hayden Shapes online and Instagram and so on, because you have an aesthetic that is absolutely beautiful and that you wouldn't normally associate with surfing. Because, you know, average person like me thinks of Surf shops, we probably sort of think uh, bamboo clad walls and sort of Volkswagen camper vans with doors taken off. And so, you know, it's kind of half hippie, half Hawaiian kind of spirit. And Hayden Shapes looks radically different. How, how, how did that happen? How did that evolve? They definitely just evolved through the natural course of, you know, evolving as a brand. And I think that it really it sort of started from, you know, not only the, the photography and the film side of what we and, and what I've personally or, or always been very interested in. But I think when we designed the FutureFlex technology and brought that to market, that was a, as a really sort of a, a innovative technology and it was really de it defined who we are as a brand visually. And to, for the listeners out there, the FutureFlex technology was something that I came up with and patented and launched to market in 2007. And it is a, it's basically I removed the wooden stringer from the center of the board and I replaced that with a parabolic carbon fiber frame around the outside of the board, much similar to a tennis racket frame. And mm. so that created this black and white aesthetic where we had these black rails with the white center of the board. And it, it gave us this really strong sort of visual identity to play upon. And I guess from that point forward, we started to evolve the branding and really sort of, I guess, Bring the, the, the visual elements of the brand, the branding, the logoing, um, the photography and the film, and then the retail aesthetic, we really started to, I guess, you know, layer that upon, you know, each other over the years and um, kind of create a, a quite a neutral palette that allows the surfboards to kind of really stand out. And that was, I think, one of the, the main um, considerations when designing the retail stores. I wanted the, the surfboard to be the feature and the highlight. So we use more paired back kind of color palette like concrete um, and the, the black fixtures as well as then the racking details and how we hung the boards um, was quite unique. So they, they would stand out and you would be, feel like you're walking into much like an art gallery um, and the boards were on show. 
So it was very much um, uh, just an evolution over since probably 2007 that we have played with and, and just continued to evolve as um, I guess my personal taste has evolved. Yeah, my, you know, that, that's one way of putting it. But I have to say, seeing that you're not a professionally trained designer with multi years of experience, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. The aesthetic you've developed, you know, the space is extremely clean. It's sculptural, it's architectural. It is, as you say, it is sort of a, a very modern art gallery type feel to it. But the aesthetic control you put into every single detail of your brand is just absolutely mind-blowing. And, and for that to say it casually evolved from one thing to another is you know, you know, it's quite I, something. I, yeah, I guess I downplay a few things. Um, but um, I guess I really do love the details. And I, being like, like I said, I started when I was 15 years old. I've never been formally trained. And these are my opportunities to personally grow as, um, in, from my career side of things or to learn new things and to challenge myself to, to evolve my skill set. And um, I think that's you know, one of those things that I, I really do like to put myself into slightly uncomfortable territory and mm. um, push myself to learn a lot of new things in whatever project that we're working on. So uh, I guess that's why there is an evolution and I, I do like to focus on the details, as, as painful as that might be at the point in time of, of working through a project. Yeah. When you do reflect and you look back, you know, the results, you really do notice and, and people to appreciate the level of detail that you put into anything that you touch. Yeah, and I mean, I can really identify with that side of the story. And I, I want to touch on that a little bit, because obviously for you as well, it's a huge evolution from being sort of a, a one-person surfboard manufacturer to being a global brand. And, and a lot of the business side of things necessarily comes with it. And, you know, while you could probably in the past worry about what perfect uh, wave to catch next, now you have to worry about sort of the next release of the Salesforce clienteling cloud for your <laughs> distribution stuff. <laughs> so, you know, yep. the, the dynamics changes quite a bit. How, how, how do you find that? And obviously for somebody, you know, and I relate to that again very closely because I'm from a creative background, you know, I'm like to be hugely involved with the details of creating things and that evolution. But at some point you have to let go to a certain extent as well and actually run the business. How's that transition been for you and how, how painful is it? Well, it, this it goes back to my personal interests. I'm actually very passionate about running the business. I've always enjoyed that side of what we do. And I feel like when I was a very small business, I focused on the details of running my business at a really early stage. So it naturally has been something I've always been interested in. And I feel like um, it's been one way that we've enabled ourselves to grow is by being very strong in the background of how we operate and how we run. And it, it's been always a, a process of, of slowly building on the back end of having a really quality product and, and an innovative product in the market. And I feel like that's what you lead first with um, and, and let the product speak for itself. But then commercially, you, you can back that up through strength of like and just being organized and you know, focusing on the details. So a good example of that is, you know, the, our direct-to-consumer business through our e-commerce and the ability for someone to customise a board. I year For years, I had the dream that you could, you know, design that in a 360-degree three, pinch and zoom kind of format where you could click the options and customise your board and, and see it visually being built in a, in, a, in a visual studio on your phone or on your computer. And you know, that took me four years to build in terms of, you know, the infrastructure for our website. But it was something that I, I really like to focus on and, that, and create that detail. And it, um, you know, it, it really did translate, you know, um, to our customers to, to be able to kind of get that sort of hands-on feel like they were in my shaping bay. Mm. Um, so I guess it's it's been just 
chipping away at every part of the business. And, and really, I think then the second part of that is like you can have those ideas and, and really set the vision up for all those areas of the business to operate at that level. But you need a really passionate and great staff and, and workforce to really be on that journey with you. And I think that's been one of my personal biggest challenges, um, you know, building up the brand is, is one, my own skills in how to work with, you know, people and manage people because I've never been formally trained. I've never gone for a job interview. I've never worked for anyone else. So I don't have that experience when, mm. when approaching things. And that's taken myself a, a fair bit of time to, to evolve and to get better at that side of, you know, what I, you know, what I do in the business. But um, I think as you continue to, to build and you continue to work on projects and, and show people, you know, what the brand is about and how you personally like to approach the culture of the business and the brand that seems to attract a certain type of person. And over the years, we've built and grown a very strong team of people who are very capable. And, you know, my wife and I are very stoked to have the team that we have today. And that team is that what helps us execute and bring things to life and all the big ideas. So honestly, it's building day by day. And um, every day feels just as challenging as last day, especially when you really go after those you know, ideas that are quite challenging. So, and we always seem to have yeah. plenty of ideas in the works. So, <laughs> not short of ideas. But, no, you know, ultimately, you you know, the moment you are really a big corporate business is when you have coffee cups with your company values printed on them, and you don't know about them. They just appear in the kitchen. And you think, what is this? <laughs> Then you know, you're now corporate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we don't have that yet, so I, I guess we can say we're not. Not corporate yet. Um, I mean, I think, um, you know, we're a small team, you know, based out of Sydney, uh, Monavale. Um, we have a team of now 35, nearly 40 staff in our custom manufacturing facility here. And we're distributed in around 70 countries through different partners and distribution arrangements. Um, although we do control our own distribution in the USA and Australia. So, um, yeah, it's, it, we've got a, great relationships and we've built um, those distribution networks over the past sort of 12 years. Um, and along the journey, I've had partners like global distribution partners that have helped me, you know, obviously build that part of the business and, and they've been very proficient and they've been a, a big reason of why, where we've got to today. But, you know, through every project or every partnership, I do try to learn personally um, to help myself evolve and, and for, you know, so I can put that back in into the overall business and, and the brand. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess I think, it's um it's always a work in progress. Well, so so recently, Hayden, you've also really expanded globally beyond Australia, and you took the the brave step just before the pandemic to to you know tackle the the major surfing market that is the US uh, with a store presence as well in El Segundo, just around the corner from uh, our friends at Mattel with their design center. H how's that going so far? Well, that's going quite interesting in the sense that I flew over to the US and you know laid the concrete floors where cast all the concrete uh, sort of fixtures and furniture pieces on site because you can't, they're very hard to transport. And I, I put everything in place. This was January 2020 um, after mm. the trade show in Orlando on the, on the East Coast. And I haven't been back since. So because Australia is in our little travel bubble and we're very slow to, to get vaccinated, I don't think I'm going to be going back anytime soon. Um, and so the store is open and it's somewhat complete. But uh, from a personal point of view, it's definitely not a complete project. Um, yeah. And since then, we've actually been exploring a lot of 
um, sustainable and upcycled, you know, materials uh, that I can use in architectural fit outs. And uh, from what we produce here in, in Monaval and all the offcuts from the surfboard manufacturing process. And um, I really want to update the design. So yeah. <laughs> I kind of uh, <laughs> give us a, you know, the, the moment of COVID, you know, I guess it was, you know, a lot of different sides of that, but it gave myself plenty of time where I wasn't traveling. I was at home with the family and I was able to focus on some really good ideas that have been in the background for a long period of time. But it gave myself the time to be able to sort of sit back and really, you know, digest like what would I like to work on in the future as a designer and, you know, what could we do better within the surfboard design process? And I've been exploring that over the last sort of 12, you know, months and we've got some great ideas and we have some really good samples that we've produced today. And mm. I would really love to update that store over the next 12 months and apply some of these uh, new materials to the fit out. And to evolve it um, into this yeah. uh, this new direction that I would really love love to take it. Um, so it's a it the, the cool thing about the space it has sixteen foot high high ceilings. It's in the old original civic building of uh, the town of El Segundo, which is right next to Manhattan Beach in Los Angeles. So mm. it's right in the thick of South Bay, um, and I feel like I, I really do love the town, and it has this feeling of um, this flagship retail location. So. Uh, I'm kind of about to embark on on that design process and and really figure out how we can potentially fabricate here in Australia and and ship it over in a container and really update the store look and feel and and um I guess give it a refresh and hopefully complete that project from a personal point of view where I feel like it's completed and it's uh, really signed off as a as a project. So um, I guess you have to evolve with the times of today and and you know sometimes that means lead times and and you know, the, the time that you spend on a project might change. And I think you just have to, to roll with the, uh, with what you get, uh, sort of given it in this point in, in this day and age. So, yeah. um, I'm, I'm excited and, um, but it's not a finished project, so to speak at this point. Well, it was a beautiful demonstration of the hands of Hayden there. <laughs> I want to go over there and lay the concrete floors and be like finished with the project, etc. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. I'm looking forward to seeing it because I haven't seen it either. So as, as soon as we can, let's make sure we head down there and uh, I would love have a couple to of nice drinks there. down Manhattan Beach. Definitely. Absolutely. But you obviously, you touched on it just now. You've also been a, a real strong um, pioneer of the whole sustainability topic in the surfboard production and the types of materials, because historically you mentioned it, you know, there's a lot of foam, a lot of GRP, a lot of, uh, a lot of matrix and all of that being used, calm fiber, etc. So, you know, you've, you've done some amazing work on the whole um, context of responsibility and sustainability and, and just guide us a little bit through your vision and, and, and what you're working on, what you're ultimately hoping to achieve. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when it comes to sustainability, there's a there's a long education process as well as then there's a big cultural kind of change that needs to take place. And that goes through baby steps, whether that's within the community or that's within your own business or within an industry. You, you do have to start somewhere. And I feel like the most logical st- place to start within my uh, factory is the waste. We, we purchase very high quality materials. Um, we build our boards using the best that we can source. But a surfboard has curves and everything comes on rolls. So 30% of the fibre that you order ends up as waste. It ends up as offcuts. And the idea of being able to repurpose, you know, all of that, you know, waste fibre is, is something that I, you know, was lucky enough to get get some time on on this floating workshop idea that we mm. we worked on with IWC. And um, that was about two years ago now. And the, I, I designed some performance-based fabrics that we could, you know, 
use these offcuts and, and reproduce these, these fabrics that I could use in the production of a new surfboard. And I feel like that's, so there's a lot more experimentation and, and there's a lot more that we can do with all the materials within the building and repurposing those into whether it be a performance-based product or whether it can be more of a, you know, a, a product that, you know, doesn't require the performance characteristics that surfboards require, but they might have that visual sort of and the aesthetics that, um, that it's, a, it's about that side of things. So that might lend itself to more like a furniture piece or an architectural kind of fit out. Um, and or the materials, even. yeah, there, there's, there's <laughs> lots that we can apply that to. And, um, that's kind of the, been the process that I've been experimenting with over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. And my goal with any of the, the concepts that we come up with is to share those within our industry and, you know, hopefully influence and open up the, the ideas. So, and the supply chain and, and the process. So then more surfboard patent factories can, you know, participate in the, the idea as well as then have the ability to customize, say, the fabric to suit their surfboards. Because I think that's really yeah. important is the way that we're going to make a real sustainable shift and change is by, you know, offering that knowledge and passing that on to, you know, the rest of the industry and trying to get more brands to participate and collectively join forces to, to make a difference, but still have that freedom to customize. So it still feels like it is personalized to the brand and the brand's designs or, or the shaper's design. So, um, I, I've got a couple of really cool projects in the works. Um, one of those is, is a furniture line, um, that we're looking to launch later this year and in, into next year with, um, space furniture here in Australia. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be an exciting process of incorporating some of these surface waste materials into the, the design of the pieces. Um, and we're using some bio epoxy resins as a binder to really bring the strength to some of these materials. So, um, I, I'm, I'm very excited about it and I, I just really want to get more hands on within the process because I've been very busy working on another project and, um, that has just launched. Mm. And, um, I, I feel like as a designer, I, I really designed through the process of creating and building things and being hands on in the process. We start with an idea begin the first prototype and really evolve the design through that process until it gets to a point where I'm, I'm happy as a, as a finished product. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting hands on in, in that sort of part of the factory at this point. Definitely. And it's, it's also something we, we notice in our industry as well. It, it takes, um, people like you and brands to make the first move and to also challenge suppliers and the supply chain of raw materials and all the rest of it, because that transition and all the investment that is necessary to reform materials and processes and come up with new solutions, it's an industry-wide uh, effort that has to be made. And, and it's only once our clients and we as brands start asking the questions, start challenging the status quo, will that innovation ripple through the entire supply chain and ultimately change things that are probably set in stone for for quite a number of years in the industry yeah and there's some some of those wins are quite simple and quite easy then there but it, it takes that cultural shift within the business to to influence that change and that's just i think human nature that it takes time when, when people do the same thing over and over again even the collection process of putting carbon fiber in one bin and fiberglass in another bin took three months within our factory to, you know, have every laminator, you know, understand how important it is because, you know, this is quality material and, you know, I want to change the mindset of our factory. 
And uh, they just by habit kept on putting in the same bin. And I'm like, no, yeah, we're, no. we're collecting the same this now. With us, same yeah. with us with fine gold and paper. People just wouldn't separate the gold out. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. well, I know. So I think, I think it take, takes a lot to change, but you do have to start somewhere. And then you've got to ask a lot of questions. And that's one thing that I have been challenging, uh, like you said, with the supply chain. It, you know, and an example is if this resin is 70, 25% you know, from bio-based material, what does that actually mean? And sometimes that takes a fair bit more investigation for the suppliers to, to, to understand, to then bring back the right amount of information. So we really understand what is the end result of any of mm. these sustainable measures that we're putting in place. Uh, one thing I do know is products that last longer, you know, create less waste and, and saving and keeping and collecting the waste through the production process and repurposing that into more quality products that, you know, serve a purpose and have a, have a real value and, and something that will last a long period of time means that we're, you know, using all of the materials that we're actually sort of wanting, yeah. you know, buying in and consuming as, as a building. So I think, yeah. you know, all of that really does help, but um, there's always a, a, a long learning curve. And I think um, everyone, you know, shouldn't be afraid to, to, to kind of speak up and say, well, I don't know actually much about sustainability. You know, what does that mean? And ask the questions because that's where I started a couple of years ago, um, very naive on, on the sustainability front, and, but started asking the questions to my suppliers and, 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 and anyone. And, and there's plenty of customers that ride my boards who are focused on the sustainability side of things. And I chat to them on Instagram and learn more about their sort of uh, learnings and, and what they've discovered. And so I think talking about it is one is a start and then acting it out and making that cultural change within the business is, is obviously the second step mm. to follow. Yeah, it's also, I mean, I, I've noticed that really strongly that uh, consumers um, focus on the longevity of products and the way we consume has shifted and developed quite a bit over the last year and a half in particular, especially yep. the, the sort of the end of um, or disruption of globalization um, due to COVID has been really that point where people start asking, okay, how do I, you know, how and what do we consume? What's stuck in a container on the Suez Canal, you know, and what can actually make locally and how long do these products last? And obviously a, a major element of, of that sustainability equation is really also the um you know as you say the longevity of the product and designing things that last longer and that give people joy for a longer period of time rather than replacing everything for the latest fad every five minutes and that's surely one way uh, we can make things a lot more sustainable but you know we've covered quite a lot of the engineering angle and it's fascinating to to give our listeners an insight into into that side of things but let's talk a little bit about surfing as well and i want to take this from sort of the the, the testing angle because we spoke a lot about the um, computer-aided design, the CNC machining of the boards, etc. But can you really get full control over the final result and the, the, the feel of a board when you're out on the water? Or at what point do you actually have to, you know, sort of take it out into the ocean and actually ride it and, and then correct it from there? How much sort of physical sort of surfing uh, testing goes into the development? Uh, I think that's the final stamp of approval is all about the surfing. There's There's no you know, measurement or no test that you can do within the building that can determine whether a board's, board's great. It's, it's physically going and riding it and understanding, you know, the nuances of the board and how it's reacting in all types of conditions. And then, you know, getting feedback from then some of our professional athletes and our riders that will then sort of give their feedback to myself. So I, you know, that test of putting a board in the water is everything. Um, and, yeah. you know, you, you can't, you can't, 
document all the variables that go on when riding a wave. You know, the, it could be the, the wind, the tide, the swell direction, you know, everything that's going on. There's so many different variables and it is very hard to really um, decipher, you know, what are you actually feeling? Is it the waves? Is it your body? Is it, you know, the, is it actually the board and the shape? And I think that's where the repetitive nature of surfing for many, many years and riding many, many different boards and um, may, being able to sort of understand what you have done within the building and what, what's been produced and, and the differences in there. So the documentation of what you've actually produced, as well as then the physical act of going and riding it, you cross link mm. those two things together. And with that experience of surfing, and I've been surfing for since I was four years old, so about 30, nearly 36 years I've been surfing. That experience of riding equipment and, and, and riding a lot of different types of boards is what I lean on in terms of like, does it feel right? Does it feel comfortable? Am I having fun on the board? And I think that's the ultimate thing for a very small percentage of surfers. It's about the performance and it's about the minute variances in the board and that they're the professional surfers. But for everyone else, it's about how much mm. fun are you having? Is this yeah. board allowing me to ride a wave where I don't think about the board i'm just riding a wave I, I i i'm not i take off i paddle in i get up to my feet and I, the board is doing exactly what i want it to do and you know i think that is probably the most important thing is is the surfer having fun do they have a mo an emotional connection to the board are they stoked and if that answer is yes i guess it's a good board yeah yeah, no, that, that that's true and obviously um you, you touched on something really important there, and that's the, the element of joy beyond uh, technical performance and I, I can relate to that very very closely from sort of you know winter sports here especially where where you know there's more to it uh, having that perfect day and that perfect moment there's more to it than just having you know catching a very good line and doing a decent speed and, and getting sort of uh, everything right what is it for you what defines for 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 Hayden sort of the the the, the perfect moment or perfect day out in the water what, what is it all about I think it's a sense of discovery and feeling that you're either going to a spot that you love to surf and you're emotionally connected to or you're exploring into a new a new wave that potentially you haven't surfed before and you catch all those conditions on the best day and the, so the elements the swell the winds the the waves and and that that experience of feeling like you're getting something no one else is getting right now mm. Combine that with a really good surf session and, and you know, like a, and enjoying that, whether that be by yourself or with friends. Um, I think that's what designs a, a special surf. And, um, I, you know, when you could travel, there's definitely plenty of places that are undiscovered. There's new ways that are undiscovered to yourself and potentially you haven't traveled to those areas in the world before. Um, and I feel like those, those surfs are the special surfs that, that stick in your mind and, and create the memories that, that live in, in your mind forever. You go to bed dreaming and you wake up at 2 a.m. and you're, you're riding that wave from that session um, in your mind again. And um, yeah. I think they're the sessions. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's more than just the conditions and, and the surf. It's, it's like how you got there and the experience around that combined with then you know, feeling like you did get the best of the best. So, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, there's definitely an element of that um, on on the very special sessions for sure. Yeah, and of course there's you know nature, the wave. There's a surfboard. There's potentially a wetsuit depending on <laughs> the climate you're in, and then there's a timepiece as well. So <laughs> let's talk about. I mean, how, how did you first come across IWC and 
you know, what's that connection to mechanical timepieces and, and what you're most likely to wear these days when you're out in the water? Well, I guess I first came across RWC uh, when I met Florian at uh, the, G- the GQ Awards and, um, yeah. you know, I-, I got chatting to him and we-, we sort of, you know, really started that discovery process of what links, you know, myself personally with the DNA of the IWC brand. And I yeah. feel like I was really drawn to the understated uh, nature of the watches and the-, the engineering that goes into them and the aesthetic sides of things. And um, I. I, I just feel like the details is what gets me. You know what I mean? Like the simplicity, but then the details around that simplicity is what personally sort of attracts me to the timepieces. And um, today I'm very much a big pilot's fan. I never take this watch off my wrist. Uh, it might be a bit cliche saying that, but I do laminate surfboards with it. I do the gardens in it. I go for a surf in it. I have had a leather strap that's lasted over two years now and I just put a new strap on there because I wear yeah. I, I know I'm not meant to do it but I do wear it in, in the surf it goes on my wrist I don't take it off and um it kind of can live in the factory it can live at a, a dinner or an event I still manage to be late to meetings um <laughs> but I, I don't can blame that on us that's that's not the watch <laughs> that's me um trying to get one extra wave in that that's maybe better than the last wave um, but at least I know I'm late. Um, There's a so, secret to that. I mean, you have to set your watch 10 minutes fast. And then that's oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> or I just need to catch waves a lot faster. I'm, I'm probably slowing up a bit um, as I get closer to 40. But um, no, it's, um, it, yeah, I personally, you know, uh, you know, have that sort of, I, I do look to to partnerships like I have with RWC and I, that, that sort of synergy that as the two brands and I, I really love learning about all the details um, and, mm. you know, I, I feel like there's definitely a lot of um, you know, simplicity within the, the RWC design that I, I personally really love. Yeah, and what strikes me with, with, with you, which I think is absolutely amazing, is that you've got such a, a range from really, you know, you, you are a, a focused engineer, but you're also an artist. I think that's, you know, from all of the series of um, amazing collaborations you've had, including the latest one you hinted on with, with Daniel Asher, which is beautiful. I mean, it's art piece, it's absolutely beautiful. And then at the same time, you're so focused on technology, engineering, sustainability, material science, and so on. And that versatility of ranging really from nuts and bolts construction all the way to a very, very artistic expression in a field where that's very, very rare. I mean, I haven't seen anything like it. That's quite that's a unique combination. And the fact that you sort of identify that at 15, oh God, I, w- I wish I, I knew what I wanted to do at 15, but I did, I did know deep down, but it's taken a long time to get there. Did you sort of have a clarity of, of intent at that age? You, you knew where you're going with this. Oh, I had no clarity at that age, except for that I love surfboards and I love surfing. <laughs> and um, I, I just had this instant connection with shaping a board and, and creating that board with my, my, my own two hands and, uh, then experiencing the, the the feedback of like, oh, how does this ride? And you get very addicted to that process and that cycle. I guess the aesthetics of um, and the evolution of the aesthetics of my, my surfboards is is come through the repetition of like learning what doesn't look good and making those mistakes. And I feel like there's plenty of design ideas that I will bring to the table that don't really connect and don't quite nail it. And I'm pretty brutal on myself when it comes to make ensuring that those details are right and i feel like different boards lend themselves to different aesthetics and and it's that personal feeling that i have when looking at a board that i feel like um i like to translate to into the the range of boards that we do release and 
I get influence on that through a lot of different sources, and that can be with by the team riders like Craig Anderson and Dion Aegis, some of the, the guys that you know ride our boards, to then, you know, my travels and what do I see and and what what do I take in visually from from other you know sources, whether that be you know other brands or you know potentially just you know, objects or architecture, and it's it's about you know bringing those experiences together and then. Uh, you know, trying to make that connection through the product of a surfboard that I really, really enjoy. And I like to to challenge our capabilities of how we build our boards with the aesthetics. And I could speak for hours about the details that we go to in, to, in terms of how to achieve that to keep the boards authentic to performance and, and the performance side of surfing. Um, but it's really a, a blend of, like you said, the nuts and bolts, but with the aesthetics. And um, I feel like the boards that people do emotionally connect with it does start with the aesthetics. It's the first look of a board rather than how the board rides. Um, I feel like those boards, if they ride well and they have that, that, that connection aesthetically with the, with the surfer, is they're the very special boards that do stand out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, um, we're super excited. We're super excited about our, our collaboration and what's to come. And, and, and your global expansion is an absolute joy to watch. And I think the, the, the way you keep your passion, authenticity, and you're just such an all-round great guy, a beautiful family who's done extremely, exceptionally well so far. But I'm very, very excited for the journey ahead. Can't wait to see what's happening. Can't wait to reconnect once we're all able. I haven't been to Australia for such a long time. This is really becoming way, way, way too long. But uh, and maybe we will meet in California this time around. It's probably more maybe realistic. we will. <laughs> um, you know, I've always um, enjoyed the support of, of RWC and, and the minds within that at the business. Um, it's very exciting. Great people. Likewise, thank you very much. And to all our listeners, if you want to check it out, is HaydenShapes.com is the website. The Instagram is at HaydenShapes. Very straightforward. No special weird dollar signs or underscores on anything in that. And of course, you can find out all about our timepieces in IWC.com. My Instagram is at Chris Granger. Hey, find everything there. Aiden, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. A fantastic conversation. Um, hope to see you soon. Stay safe in the meantime. Send my love to the family and to all our listeners. Thank you very much for catching this uh, episode of Partners in Time. I'll speak to you all next time. Bye for now. See you later.